Welcome to Word from the Mountaintop, a weekly inspirational podcast brought to you from the Mountain Luther Parish. Today's Word of the Lord will be shared by Pastor Jason or Pastor Jess Felici. were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not yet seen I have not seen, excuse me, and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the gospel of our Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. There is, amazingly, a lot of talk about doors in our parish. (coughs) Doors. Just in our little parish, I could tell stories for days about doors, right? Doors open, doors close. Add garage doors in the mix. I kept Bob busy for a couple of months, right? Uh, garage doors, we'll add those in too. Uh, my garage door over in Franklin is not that great. I should have Bob come over and look at it. In uh, one of our churches, we had a conversation about what color the doors should be. Now, while this didn't devolve into a what color should the carpet of the sanctuary be type uh, conversation, uh, one person was very adamant that the doors should be red, that Lutheran church doors are red. Now, I combed back in my seminary education and all my classes, and I I don't think I ever learned that Lutheran church doors had to be red, but no one said anything, so the person just brought red paint and painted the doors red, and no one complained, so they're still red. Uh, Another exciting door story is that we finally got some new doors put on at the Parsonage in Franklin, replacing the 70-year-old original doors in the house. 
the ones that were there when Baby Ben, who were later installing Pastor Ben at the campus ministry in WVU, when he would have been roaming the floors of that house. Uh, it only took seven years of conversations and many, many council meetings, but after all that door talk, we finally got it done. And by done, I mean the doors are in, but we still need to put the molding up and the storm doors on and the last coat of paint and all that stuff. So they're not, they're not really done, but I'm going to call it done for the purposes of this sermon. Door talk. There's a lot of it. When, it's, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house were locked. The doors of the house where the disciples met had been locked. Now again, I'm preaching this afternoon at campus ministry, and I do have a funny story about doors. Uh, at the chapel one time, I had to run down to pick some things up, and I came by the campus ministry, and all the doors were locked. The chaplain at that time, who shall remain nameless, Bishop Regal, <laughs> always said, Jason, don't worry. It's easy to remember how to get in the chapel. It's easy to remember how to get in the chapel. Now, anytime the bishop says something's easy, uh, just go to the back doors and enter in the year that the Council of Nicaea was held. That's the code. Well, I found out that day what a disappointment I was going to be to the chaplain because when I began entering codes, it was clear that I did not remember what year the Council of Nicaea was held. <laughs> uh, and this, of course, was before the smartphone where you could just say, hey, Google, what is the year of the Council of Nicaea? Right, it was pre-that. Uh, so I had to call the chaplain to give me the date to let me in. Uh, so now I know, and of course this is even before I went to seminary, I found out the year of the Council of Nicaea, which is 325 A.D. I'm sure you all knew that. So now you know how to get into the campus ministry chapel. The disciples had the doors locked out of fear. And that fear is such an important detail in this text. After all the joy that we experience in the Easter season, right? All the joy we celebrated last Sunday. So many flowers up here, you could smell them all the way out to the parking lot. The tomb's empty. The women are running to tell the story. Peter is running to see the grave clothes just lying there. And where are the disciples through all this? They are hunkered down in a locked room in fear. Maybe chalk it up to forgetting what Jesus told them, right? the third day, or you know, the Son of Man is going to be crucified, he's going to die, and on the third day he's going to rise again. He said that like three to five times, right? Uh, maybe they didn't trust that promise. Maybe they were afraid that they would be blamed for taking Jesus from the grave, right? Everybody was kind of worried about that. Somebody was going to get the blame. Who was going to get the blame? Maybe, quite possibly, they were worried about being crucified themselves, Right? Their leader, their rabbi, had been crucified. Well, who do you think is going to be next? And probably the people that have been following him around for three years. At this point, the disciples are not singing, Jesus Christ is risen today. But Jesus does not need the door code to get in, right? He appears before them and says, peace be with you. He shows them his hands and his side and the disciples rejoice that they have seen the Lord. 
And after seeing and believing, the disciples give, or the, Jesus, excuse me, gives these disciples a commission. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now this pattern repeats itself again in the text when Thomas comes into the room. Now, Thomas, poor Thomas, he always gets a bad rap, right? Now when I picture Thomas walking into the room, it's like after something major has happened and you walk into the room and you say, what did I miss? Right? This is Thomas in this text. And you may have heard him called Doubting Thomas a time or a hundred. And I don't, I've come to really not like that term. Reason being, uh, it's a mistranslation of a word, a Greek word in verse 27, right? It's even in the MRSV where we say, do not doubt, but believe. The word for doubt really isn't there. It's more, do not be unbelieving, but believe, right? So it's a, it, it's a word that says unbelieving, which there is a little bit of difference there. Um, because really, was he asking for anything other than what the other disciples hadn't already received, right? right? Was he any more doubting than all the others who were just a week ago? What did Jesus say? As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And where are they a week later? They're back in that room behind locked doors, right? So there's a lot of doubt to go around in this crew, right? I appreciate Thomas because of all the disciples, he just spells it out, right? Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger in the mark of those nails, and my hand in his side, this is another good place for some Greek translation, right? It's, this is the, the, the most forceful negative in the Greek language. It's like, I will never, ever, ever believe, right? It's the Eli way of saying no. I will never, ever, ever do that. And so, a week later when Jesus comes back, right? Because even in the midst of all this doubt, Jesus comes back. And he says, peace be with you. And he looks directly at Thomas. And he shows him his hands and his side. He even invites him to reach out his hands and touch and then Thomas shouts in joy, my Lord and my God. Now here's why I think doubting Thomas is a misnomer. He is the first mortal in the Gospel of John, right? First character, not narrator or divine being, to confess Jesus as God. Thomas is not a doubter. Thomas is a confessor. And then Jesus again gives them a commission. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And here we are 2,000 years later and we hear that blessing and we say, that's us. We have not seen and yet we have come to believe. And it's true the physically re resurrected Jesus in his intact body is not here right in front of us. He does not look us in the eyes and say, put your finger here and see my hands. 
right? Reach out your hand and put it in my side. But just like the disciples of that day, we, we do really try hard to find him, right? There's a news article about an archaeological dig in the Middle East that looks to be successful or find something new. We always mention it to each other, right? We shoot an email to pastors and say, hey, look at this, right? We eat up the shows and the specials that come on right around this time of the year that show us what they found, right? The carbon-dated bones and the manuscripts, which I admit, I love that stuff too. I think it is incredibly interesting. But we want proof, right? We long for a little bit of that proof. And when we do that, maybe we're more like Thomas than we first thought, right? Which isn't as bad if we change his name from doubting to confessing Thomas, right? And sometimes I hear lament that we don't see God working in the world like we used to, right? Or Jesus isn't here, or, or if we as a nation and a people, if we just turn back to God, then God would do X, Y, and Z. But here's the thing. The Easter message is Jesus is risen. He's alive. And that means that he is here. Now, he hasn't walked away from us. In fact, right, we know that Jesus can pass through locked doors based on John chapter 20. So there isn't any place in this world that we can keep him out of. Right? There isn't anywhere in the universe that God isn't present. Jesus is with us too, lives in us from the moment that we are joined with him in the waters of baptism. He is with us all along the way, when we get it, and even at those times that we don't necessarily get it. And when we come to church, there's signs all around us. Right? We just have to look for them. We have to be ready to see them. When a person becomes a child of God, as the water is poured over them and the word is proclaimed, Jesus is here. When later you come down this center aisle and you hear, hear these words, the body of Christ, The body of Christ given for you. It's not like a, a passive thing or like a, you know, the blood of Christ shed for you, right? It's a declarative statement. This is the body and blood of Christ. When we receive Jesus' body and blood, Jesus is here, right? With us, in, with, and under the bread and wine, but also living inside of us. When a burden is lifted and forgiveness is proclaimed, Oh, and here's the big one, right? Jesus says this to the disciples. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And immediately when we hear that, you know, we think about the pastor, right? The pastor stands up here, in the brief order for confession and forgiveness, declares forgiveness, on, uh, God's forgiveness to the congregation. Um, talk about this text a lot in ordination. Sure, yes. That is a part of our job. But he says this to all the disciples, to everyone who's gathered in that room today. And so we all take a part in this ministry. And let's be honest, it is way easier to retain sins than it is to forgive them. Way easier. Right? But 
when we do that hard thing, that thing that Jesus and the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do, that thing that we can't do ourselves, when we proclaim forgiveness to someone who has sinned against us. In that moment, in that holy moment, Jesus is there. So to tell you the truth, the signs of the resurrected Christ are all around us. The more we look, the more we can't help but see them. Jesus says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And so we, like the disciples, are sent. The disciples kept gathering back into that locked house, and Jesus keeps sending them out to share the good news and to proclaim the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. We have received the Holy Spirit who will guide and direct us and who will continue to show us the risen Christ in our midst. We have seen the Lord and we believe. So let us share that news so, as John writes, others may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, we may have life in his name. Thanks be to God. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And for further messages from our clergy, feel free to visit wordfromthemountaintop.org. Thank you.